This is Marco Reus, and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 268 of the Yellow Wall Pod. My name is Stefan Butzko, the host of this cheerful episode. And I'm joined by Lars Pollmann. Once again, hello Lars. I'm very glad you are here because uh, you have seen the Leverkusen match in the Europa League live from the buffet at the Bay Arena. So we will have some uh, expert insight on that. How are you doing? How was your week? Uh, expert analysis on the the buffet or uh, the yeah. yeah I mean the buffet was okay I guess it wasn't as good as <laughs> as it had been the last time I was there uh, yeah I'm I'm glad to be back on the show because obviously you said this is going to be a cheerful episode and every regular listener knows that Mr Cheerful is my second name so yeah here I am <laughs> all right Mr Cheerful yeah um. I have to apologize on, on behalf of Matthias and I. We were a little cocky on the last episode. I think I predicted a 4-1 win for Dortmund against Nürnberg and Matthias, I think, a 4-0 win. And we were 100% convinced that uh, Dortmund would not shit the bet. Yet here we are, a scoreless draw against Nürnberg, the uh, dead last uh, deadbeat shit team in the Bundesliga. Um There is no mincing words, I guess. It was a really pathetic game overall, not really fun to watch. And now Bayern Munich are only three points behind Dortmund. And I'm fearing another L on the horizon against Leverkusen. But before we talk about Leverkusen, obviously, Lars, we have to discuss at great length the uh, <laughs> double goose egg on uh, Monday night away in Nürnberg. It was not pretty... Um, why was it not pretty and why did Dortmund not win this gruesome, gruesome game? Well, to be honest, I didn't think it was that bad necessarily. Uh, I think in terms of the performance, it certainly wasn't great, but I would say in, in eight times out of 10, I guess, uh, the same performance would have sufficed to win the game quite easily because of the number, not necessarily of, you know, clear cut scoring opportunities, but there were enough saves uh, that Christian Martinia, the Nuremberg goalkeeper, had to make that usually if Dortmund are in a better run of form or if uh, it's not Mario Götze taking the chances but Paco Alcácer, for example, I think typically they would have won that game despite not playing better uh, in different moments of the season. So I think the massive negative reaction to this game obviously stems from the fact that it was against the last place team in the Bundesliga. Uh, the first game was a seven nothing victory. Uh, and obviously this comes at the, uh, on the back of four other games without a win. So most people probably thought this was going to be the slump buster for Dortmund. Uh, it didn't turn out to be that way in part, I guess, because of, Uh, Götze being the striker at Nalakase because for however great Mario Götze has played in the second half of the season I would say he's a strong contender to be the best outfield player next to Julian Weigl perhaps uh, in 2019 so far 
uh, a goal getter he is not and will never be. Uh, I mean, finishing is probably one of the weakest areas of his game and he was the one and on the end of all the chances. I think he had six uh, shots himself uh, despite only having like nine on the entire season beforehand. So that that's that's a part of things right now for Dortmund things aren't going their way and and that also means that someone who doesn't really finish all that well gets on the end of all the chances so uh obviously there were more problems and structural problems and uh to be fair Nuremberg defended fairly well for the most of the game too but you know uh, at the end of the day as i said before uh, i don't think the performance in a in a vacuum was horrific from Dortmund necessarily it was just uh, a bad coincidence to have this kind of game against a team that you really need to beat if you really want to mm, compete for the title or even you know just have a nice end of the season yeah basically you know not winning this is is, is a big deal for the title race let's put it this way um, I gotta say though I was a bit miffed and we can talk about the uh, structural problems, as you as you uh, named it, that Dortmund played in 39 crosses, which is absolutely horrible. And uh, especially Lucien Favre is a coach who knows how inefficient and ineffective these um, types of, of uh, crosses are that Dortmund played. In, in recent time, not, not so much against Dortmund. Then they uh, yeah yielded in great success. But uh, for Dortmund against Nürnberg, and especially with Mario Götze, and, you know, guys like Philip Sancho and Guerrero in the box, there is just not a lot of, uh, you know, quality that can head the ball in. And there were enough bodies to usually defend these crosses. So, um, what went wrong that Dortmund, uh, yeah, basically did nothing else and then crossed the ball in the box? And why did Mario Götze think that there needed to be more crosses after the game? Well, what Goetze said was that basically they found it so difficult to break down this massive Nuremberg wall of defenders that, you know, they should have played in even more crosses just to go for the rebounds, which I guess, I mean, if, if they only had crossed the ball 10 to 15 times as is normal for Dortmund, I would say, uh, then that might be a viable argument. But obviously, uh, 39 crosses or however many, uh, if you include corner kicks and whatever, uh, it clearly they had enough opportunities to win those rebounds, which they did not. So, I mean, that, that's part of the problem, I guess. But ultimately, this is the kind of game Dortmund has struggled with over the last few years, really. Uh, and now especially missing Marco Reus as the, the one guy who can unlock this kind of defense, uh, regularly with his qualities. I think they just uh, found it difficult to, you know, find a way into the box consistently. I think the chances that fell to Götze, uh, a few of them were uh, more or less coincidence, I would say. A few of them also were uh, coming on the end of nice moves from Sancho and sometimes Guerrero as well. But overall, I think there was a, a void of creativity in the team, which... I think comes down, uh, in, at least in part, to uh, Farfus insistence on playing uh, Thomas Delaney and Axel Witzel against this kind of opponent. I don't think, and I think we've probably talked about this quite a bit this season. I don't think you need Thomas Delaney to play this kind of game uh, all the time. Uh, but, you know, Farfus just mm -hmm. considers him a, a 
a starter for pretty much every opponent. And I mean, success has given him or, or has agreed with him so far. I think now is not the time to play Delaney against Nuremberg, but he's doing it. So I guess we have to live with that. And then also uh, Maximilian Philipp once again having an absolute nothing performance like he has had basically the entire time he's replaced Marco Reus doesn't help either. So you have this this massive void of creativity in the center of the pitch, which is obviously where where Reus is so good and where Dortmund had been so good for most of the season. So they they will have to find a way uh, to carve out opponents without the individual brilliance of Sancho Reus and at times Guerrero, because uh, the game plan of Nuremberg is easily replicable by pretty much every opponent in the Bundesliga because everyone can put uh, nine outfield players behind the ball at all times and and hope for the best. Uh, So this was something that Favre knew from the start of the season, basically, that this was going to be a tactic used against this team. And for large stretches of the season they they seem to deal with it quite well. But as of right now, they're, they're not good enough to do that. Well, I actually would argue that they haven't done it all too well when they have faced this tactic because, uh, if I recall, they, they, you know, did face it in, in parts against Hanover in that scoreless draw and their loss against Düsseldorf. They faced an opponent, uh, like that. And of course, in the cup against, um, Union Berlin and, uh, Kreuter Fürth, who played very similarly and, uh, I would argue that for the most part in these games, Dortmund struggled severely and I don't really think that they are finding a lot of solutions right now against ultra-defensive sides. And um, it's a bit worrying because we will, in, in five minutes or so, hopefully, or I don't know hopefully, but talk about how Dortmund struggled severely if when, when they're really pressed high uh, against the you know, from a team like Leverkusen, but, uh, you know, on the other side, they also do s- struggle quite a bit when, uh, you know, there is zero space to attack and then to, to, um, create something. I mean, Dortmund struggled with that, I think, quite often before Thomas Tuchel came in. Um, Jürgen Klopp also did not always find solutions against, uh, this sort of uh, defensive tactic. And, uh, yeah. Now Dortmund once again struggling and maybe, uh, yeah, will also drop points against Augsburg or so because Augsburg on top of being capable of, uh, applying that sort of style, they certainly can also play on the counter, which, uh, Nuremberg impressively could not. I mean, they created a couple of chances from set pieces and, uh, Pereira, I think is his name, uh, was working really hard to, to uh, create as many as possible by uh, flopping. Every couple of seconds, uh, whenever he was touched, he was on the ground. So um, that was certainly a tactic Nuremberg had. And um, yeah, I gotta say though, I did not expect Nuremberg to be capable of of this sort of uh, playing style of defending so deep because so far the season has uh, shown time and time again that uh, whenever they just try to defend, they are a way too passive and, and b uh, leave gaps open that you should not leave open. But uh, with the new interim coach, uh, or I don't know if he's permanent, uh, yeah, it looked a little bit different than it would have under Kölner. So um, yeah, maybe also bad luck for Dortmund that uh, they faced a different coach 
on the sideline in, in Nuremberg. But um, yeah, there's not a lot of uh, positive stuff to take away from this game. Uh, it was a must-win game. Dortmund did not win it. Um, and I think you've analyzed quite correctly that um, the uh, creative potential in Dortmund was not really uh, used to its fullest. Uh, I certainly would have played Dahoud as well or, you know, at some point brought on Hakimi or so just to mix things up a little bit more. But um, it wasn't to be. So, last, let's move on. Bayer Leverkusen. Um, is that's a game where I predicted a loss, uh, I don't know, last week, if it was on the air or off the air, uh, gotta ask Matthias, but, um, I just see that Leverkusen right now could be Dortmund's kryptonite. Now you last night spent your time in Leverkusen watching the, uh, sold out, uh, burner against Krasnodar. If at all, are there any takeaways other than, uh, things we already know i mean i don't know what people know about leverkusen uh, <laughs> uh, i i actually i would say that based on the second half of the bundesliga season they are my number one team in germany right now uh, i mean they they beat bayern somewhat comprehensively they had absolutely no problems with a team like hannover where other teams did struggle even though most of the time they beat hannover uh, but then you, you, they, they turn around and they drop out of the cup against uh, Heidenheim, a second division side, and uh, out of the Europa League against Krasnodar, which is in European terms also a bit of a second division side, if you know what I mean. So uh, I don't know if, if it was down to them not giving too much of a you-know-what uh, about the Europa League, because obviously there's not too much earning potential they aren't likely to win the entire thing, given that Sevilla are in the competition and they are basically, uh, they have uh, pre-booked uh, the, the title celebrations already in Seville. So uh, I think they they didn't necessarily play their hearts out to make it to the next round of that competition when they can focus on the Bundesliga and still have a shot I guess at uh, fourth place, even though I think that's not necessarily too likely just because, uh, even though Gladbach is slipping a bit at the moment, I think the, the top four teams are just a bit better overall than Leverkusen and Frankfurt and obviously Wolfsburg are. But, you know, tactically speaking, I don't think there was anything new, uh, in, in that game. I mean, we, we, we all know. Uh, we re remember well what Peter Bosch's strengths and weaknesses are. And I think there's still this honeymoon period uh, with him at Leverkusen that we also experienced at Dortmund, where at the start of things, everyone's excited because it's uh, a fun style to play and everybody's advanced and, and people get into new roles like Julian Brandt, who's basically an ape now. And, and But all these things also have like a shelf life, I guess. And at some point, he will have to show uh, Bosch, I mean, that, you know, he really did learn from his mistakes and he does now understand how to better uh, or how to implement better cover for his defense and all that. And I mean, going back to the game against Krasnodar, there were in the first half a couple of chances where a better side than the Russians would have scored past Leverkusen and then they would have been out after 45 minutes instead of 90. So it's it's not like... Uh, there was nothing in this game and then this, this magical free kick happened. So there, there were 
cracks in the Bayer defense basically after 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, that is sort of predictable that any Leverkusen team coached by, or any team by, coached by Peter Bosch will be susceptible to counterattacks one way or another. Now, I would have had more confidence in Dortmund's counterattacking qualities had the, they, um, one Marco Reus available and also one Lucas Piszczek, but, uh, that is not the case, even though I think Bild reported that he is doing his comeback now. But, uh, yeah, I think Michael Sorg today said something along the lines of uh, they'd rather ensure him being fit for the rest of the season and, uh, you know, f for that sacrifice one more game without him than the other way around. So, um, yeah, I guess playing it safe is, is not a bad idea in, in general, but of course, hurts your chances against Leverkusen because Marco Royce is lethal on the counterattack, as we have discussed uh, endlessly on this podcast. Um, for Leverkusen, uh, Karim Bellarabi is out. Um, he usually is their, um, yeah, right winger, if, if you want it. Um, Leverkusen, I think, now playing a 4 3 3. Um, how do you like it that, uh, basically next to Arangis in the middle, there's Harvards and Brandt on the, let's say, number eight positions behind Bailey, Folland, and usually Bellarabi, who is, who is out this time. Um, I think so far this, this has worked out quite well for Leverkusen. Um, what do you make of this setup that Bosch has uh, opted for? Yeah, I think uh, I like Arangis as the base midfielder, uh, even though he's not necessarily you know, a physical specimen or anything. Uh, he does have good endurance, but he's just a very smart player. And I think that's probably the most important uh, aspect in in that number six role for Bosch, you, just, you you need to have spatial awareness. You need to understand when to step out, when to uh, you know provide cover to your defense. So this is why Nuri Shahin had a few, had a, had a had a quick uh, comeback, if you like, in the first few games under under Bosch. Even though obviously he physically is completely washed, uh, he's very intelligent still and and can spray passes and all that. So I like Arangis. Uh, I think Harvard is the kind of player who can basically do well pretty much everywhere just because of his natural talent and also his, his football intelligence. Is is he right now the uh, quote-unquote hottest prospect in the Bundesliga? No, because Jaden Sancho exists, but you know the the, <laughs> the, the, the hottest German prospect certainly, I would say. Uh, even though uh, arguably Julian Brandt has been more impressive for Leverkusen of late, uh, he's really coming on in that new role. I think he kind of needed a spark, you know, maybe from a motivational side, because I think he might be regretting uh, staying at Leverkusen last summer, because obviously he, we pretty much know he had a, a number of offers, uh, especially after the World Cup, where he was arguably the one winner for Germany next to perhaps Marco Reus. Um, so I think Brandt has been a revelation so far in this position, but obviously uh, as I said before, this is still kind of the Peter Bosch honeymoon period and uh, Julian Brandt hasn't uh, had to work too hard defensively, I guess, Uh up until this point and I don't know how much he will like uh, going into the infight with uh, Thomas Delaney and Axel Witzel now my smartphone is uh, ringing I'm sorry <laughs> do you need to answer the call uh, it's not right next to me so I'm just going to 
turn off my mic for a minute and you can keep going. All right, then I'll I'll take over quite briefly and uh, talk a little bit about uh, Borussia Dortmund's chances against Leverkusen because, um, as I previously mentioned, I don't think Dortmund will win this game, um, particularly without Lukas Piszczek, because in the recent weeks, months, I don't know, Dortmund have always struggled to play the ball cleanly out of the back, especially... Um, With the absence of uh, one Manuel Akanji, um, I don't think Julian Weigel has done particularly bad, but um, uh, usually coaches have figured out that if you block the uh, two centre-backs of Dortmund in the build-up play and force the ball to be played out uh, of the back on, on, on the you know, full-back positions, then uh, Dortmund do not necessarily find solutions. Um, Diallo has not really covered himself in glory either, but... Um, This will arguably be a problem for Dortmund um, to just, uh, yeah, get the ball out of defense. And it's going to be very similar to to um, Tottenham, I think, because Leverkusen also with, um, you know, the likes of, of Tarr and, and Baumgartlinger or whoever will, will play at centre-back or Dragovic. Um, also have two center backs that can very easily snuff out the long punts if you don't really uh, manage to play it out of the back cleanly. And I think this is going to be a really big problem. And the only hope Dortmund really have, I think, is Leverkusen running out of steam. Because um, Bayer Leverkusen, I think, under Peter Bosch have uh, run the most kilometers so far. And uh, I think they even set like something like a record of... Uh, having 86% possession against Düsseldorf um, and yet still uh, outrunning the opponent. I think that's very much unheard of. Usually if you have more possession, you do not outrun your opponent. So um, given that they have played in the EuroLeague on, on Thursday, maybe they might be a little bit tired here and there. And uh, this is when Dortmund really need to pounce. Um, yeah, and, uh, the I, I didn't really think necessarily they they look tired uh, late in the game but i do think it's uh, worth mentioning that uh, bosch only used two of his subs and one of them came in the 86th or so minute after krasoda had scored the opener so uh, it wasn't like he was going for uh, you know regeneration with some of his uh, more important players so brand for example played the whole 90 minutes uh, the entire attacking department did as well so Uh, there, there may be an opportunity for Dortmund to tire Leverkusen out, especially if it's going to be the, you know, high energy affair that I guess most people are expecting. Yeah, I'm certainly expecting that um, because Dortmund now have to run for the title, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. And um, Dortmund against Leverkusen usually is always a cracker um, in terms of at least high tenacity it's usually always an intense game that hasn't always yielded in a lot of entertainment but uh, I guess the uh, reverse fixture did um, when Dortmund had this uh, miraculous comeback let's put it this way from uh, 2-0 down against Leverkusen which uh, yeah I, I did not really see Dortmund recover from that and uh, I also would say in this reverse fixture Dortmund were clearly outgunned by Leverkusen for let's say good 60 minutes or so um, I don't think Dortmund had a really good chance in the first half and Leverkusen were already 2-0 up and uh, yeah then turning this game around sort of um, sums up a little bit you know Leverkusen being 
a joker team. So um, maybe this is another hope for Dortmund that they just are going to be out choked by Leverkusen. I don't know, Lars, <laughs> but um, my my hopes of, of Dortmund actually being the better side in possession and, uh, you know, dominant and, and creating more chances against Leverkusen are quite slim right now um, because I don't think Dortmund's ball retention will be good against the pressing team. And Leverkusen right now is a lot about you know, about ball retention and Leverkusen can create against teams that are very passive. Uh, so this is another thing that Dortmund do right now. When they don't have the ball, they just sort of, you know, sit back and, and hope to win the ball somehow. But uh, I just think that Leverkusen will will uh, do much better against the Dortmund side that just sits back and, and, and waits for the best just even better than, than Tottenham did because Tottenham whipped in the ball into the box like two times and, and got, don't want to say lucky, but, you know, scored from that. Meanwhile, Leverkusen probably have a little bit more, uh, creative power to really unlock Dortmund's defense and actually, um, you know, tap the ball into the back of the net because of, uh, their combination plays. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe this will turn out a win now because I'm too negative. So Lars, I need you to uh, be the counterweight now and uh, tell me why Dortmund will win this game or do better than I think. Well, I I mean, uh, not so long ago, Dortmund were also without Marco Reus and a few other key players and uh, 3-0 up against a pretty good Hoffenheim side uh, after 75 minutes or so. And, and Jaden Sancho hit the post, so it could easily have been 4-0. And, you know, Hoffenheim not necessarily playing the same style as Leverkusen, but also in terms of the individual talent in that team, um, one of the few very good Bundesliga sides, I would say even... Who would rank Leverkusen higher than Hoffenheim, though, in terms of individual talent? Yeah, possibly, but I, I would say that Hoffenheim probably have a coaching edge on Leverkusen uh, because I rate Nagelsmann higher than Bosch, but... Uh, just, enough. I mean, just to illustrate that, you know, just because Marco Reus isn't there, it's not like Dortmund have been uh, doing nothing going forward all the time. I mean, yes, it happened against uh, Spurs, even though I, I think that game has really turned uh, in terms of perception on basis of the result in the last 10 or 15 minutes, because I would say that at halftime of that game, we were all, or at least I was fairly impressed with the Dortmund performance uh, against Spurs at Wembley. And then obviously they turn around and concede three second half goals and everybody talks how, how immature or whatever that performance was. But for 45 minutes, they were the better side, I would say, or let's say 35 of the first 45 um, and then obviously we, we talked about Nuremberg already, but it, as I said, it's not like Dortmund have done nothing going forward since Marco Reus went off the pitch against Werder Bremen at halftime. I mean, they even scored two goals against Bremen in, in, in extra time. So it's, it's not all doom and gloom, I would say, for Dortmund just because Marco Reus isn't there and because there are a few, uh, structural problems in terms of possession. I think the, Perhaps most important factor about this game we haven't really talked about yet is the presumable return of Manuel Kanji. Oh, really? He, he's going to be back? I, I completely missed that. I thought 
he was also still out for this. No, uh, I mean, Hans Joachim Watzke said on Thursday, I guess, in this uh, talk show, uh, Brinkhoff's Brölgeflüster, that one of the uh, anchors of this team, or however you want to translate, Stützpfeiler, uh, pivots. Yeah, whatever, uh, is going to be back, or it looks fairly certain to be back, and we know it's not Royce, we know it's not Pischek, so kind of has to be Akanji, who also. Uh, talked about possibly even return against Nuremberg. So I, I guess there was that kind of decision to not go and, and take stupid risks uh, with so much to play for still in the season. But, you know, uh, pretty much everybody expects uh, Akanji to make his return against Leverkusen. Um, and I think that makes a humongous difference, not only in terms of, you know, the the... The number one center back being back, you know, maybe you don't need to play Zagadu or Diallo. I, I, I mean, it wouldn't be a bad idea, I guess, to play Akanji with Weigel just because Weigel has been, in terms of his form in 2019, the most stable defender of Dortmunds. Um, and, and not only is Akanji probably a better bet to have a solid enough game, even though he's obviously a bit rusty than Zagadu or Diallo. Um, he's also obviously very important in, in position and in, in that area that you described as a problem against Leverkusen. I would agree that with the personnel that was available until now, that was a, or a potential problem against Leverkusen. But if a Kanji can play, then that opens up a lot of things Dortmund can do to, uh, outplay that first pressing line of Leverkusen. And then, uh, you can run at that defense which isn't necessarily super solid uh, and obviously try to take advantage of a midfield that really isn't uh, thinking too much about defensive responsibilities, I guess, outside of Arangis. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, we all know that if you beat the first pressing line of a Peter Bosch team, you have very good chances to, to find a lot of space and, and score or create something from that. And I still think that Dortmund are very much capable of doing that even without Marco Reus. I agree with you there. Um, so yeah, no, it's not all doom and gloom. I, I still think it's, it's a, a very even matchup right now, but I just think, you know, in terms of form and, uh, clashing playing styles, Leverkusen have the edge for me. And, uh, if, if things go slightly against Dortmund right now, maybe, uh, the trend dictates at least in, in my book that uh, they're going to pick up a loss but who knows uh, I certainly don't because my prediction game has been weaker as ever um, but yeah if if that's correct and Nakanji is back that's obviously huge news not only for this game but for the for the rest of the season Dortmund's chances because I also would say Akanji is um, the, the leader and the head of defense and uh, the way he sort of organizes his defense and, and you know, where they are is very vital. We saw it against Tottenham. We saw it in other games that sometimes the back line is a little bit too far behind the midfield line and that uh, opens a space you don't really want to have open. And uh, I think Manuel Akanji can fix something like that. Um, which, uh, you know, looks a little bit more headless when you have Julian Weigel, who's a not an experienced center back at war and, and Zagadou or, or so on and so forth in, in that back line. And, uh, you know, especially 
considering how many times Dortmund had to change their individual backline uh, in in recent weeks. Um, I mean, playing Diallo as a left back is is uh, not really ideal. Um, I appreciated uh, Favre playing Wolf as a right back because Hakimi definitely needed a rest. Um, so how do you think with uh, with uh, Akanji back? You see the entire backline uh, line up. Um, obviously, we don't know for sure that Akanji is playing rather than making uh, his his squad. So. Yeah, I was going to. Um, assuming he plays, I would say, uh, as I said before, uh, pairing him with Weigel makes the most sense to me, just in terms of form of uh, Weigel, Zagadu, Toprak, and Diallo. Um, I mean, Zagadou was super impressive in the first half of the season, but, but when he had his injury, I think he lost his rhythm a bit. And, uh, I mean, he had to come off against Spurs with muscle problems, uh, then played against Nuremberg. Didn't look too great there, even though Nuremberg obviously didn't necessarily create too many problems for Dortmund's defense, but still the, he had a I don't know the the first touch with this back. Yeah, I mean, he had a couple of of uh, situations and moments where you just saw that he's not in in his absolute perfect football playing shape at the moment. So, I I I just think Akanji, even though uh, he and Weigel are both right footed, uh, and Weigel make the most sense. Um, I would presume Hakimi is going to return because he's now had a. Uh, a good 10 or so days off um after the Spurs game so he's he should be fine uh to return to the team i hope he plays on the left side because uh he seems to despite being right-footed uh, understand uh, his defensive responsibilities on the left side a bit better than on the right uh maybe it's just a concentration thing that on the right he's thinking on the front foot too often uh, because he's been caught out of position on the right wing I think I feel like more often than when he's played on the left so I would stick him back on the left uh, which is also the more problematic position uh, because Diallo just is not a left back for a team of the caliber of Dortmunds and there's something uh, with Marcel Schmelzer that Lucien Favre is just not feeling at the moment so he's kind of uh, a forgotten man and I would be surprised to see Schmelzer start all of a sudden uh, against Leverkusen so that's Hakimi on the- I, I honestly would not be surprised going by how Favre sometimes surprises everyone so yeah okay I mean I've, uh, I've chosen not to be surprised by surprises anyway yeah, I, uh, um, if, if that's if, if that's how we are arguing then you know Jakob Larsen <laughs> might start on the left wing because he's played like 30 minutes in 2019 may, may, maybe, maybe Sergio Gomez will play on the yeah that would be great uh, actually and quickly to uh, finish the, the back line I would just stick with Marius Wolf on the right I think he did Okay, against Nuremberg, uh, he's certainly athletic enough to provide some cover against Bailey. Uh, obviously, he's no pitch check, but neither was Hakimi. And uh, I think I prefer Marius Wolf, who's at least got fresh legs on the right wing over uh, Diallo on the left wing again. So there you have it. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um just a quick note, I think uh, both Wolf and Delaney did not tra- uh, train on, on Friday. I don't know what that means if they are ruled out. Uh, I presume they're fine and just needed the rest day or something like that. Um, so um, I, I presume they can can play. Uh, otherwise, we would have heard something else on the, on the press conference. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I would 
probably uh, prefer Hakimi on the left every every time I, I get to choose. And with that, you know, even if Diallo is out of the equation, I I just play uh, Wolf as a right back because Hakimi is so much more of value as a as a left back than as a right back. Um, that alone will will help. And yeah, maybe. Wolf and, and Sancho can even build some chemistry. I don't know about you, but that looked a little bit uh, abject still, but I, I also see potential there. Um, you know, you don't just build a synergy in one game. Uh, some Sometimes players have that natural understanding with each other, but uh, Wolf and Sancho not necessarily. And who knows, maybe it looks better if they have a little bit more spo- space to operate in against a team that doesn't play like Nuremberg. I think that we can be sure of. So, um, yeah, but one way or another, I'm really looking forward to this game because I, I think it's going to be uh, very entertaining and I think there's going to be uh, a couple of goals in, in this one um, and certainly a bit of drama. Um, do you uh, want to warn of any Leverkusen player in particular? I mean, we've discussed Harvard, Harvard's and Brandt, of course. Um, what do you make of uh, a Kevin Folland? In, in Leverkusen and, and the Bailey, do you think that uh, these are players Dortmund need to really, truly worry about and, and say, tweak their system a little bit? Or do you think that Dortmund should stick to the uh, 4-2-3-1, which has worked best for them in, in recent decades? I mean, I, I can't think of a single moment this season when Dortmund really tweaked their system to accommodate for uh, an opponent necessarily. Um, I mean, Leon Bailey is still not on the that tear of form he had in the fall of 2017 when he kind of exploded onto the scene and everybody thought, man, who's who's this guy? Who's, who's paying 60 million for him in the summer? And then obviously that didn't materialize and he, he was really one of the more massive disappointments of the first half of the season uh, under Heiko Herrlich. Now he's been better under Bosch from what I can tell. I mean, didn't, I didn't watch uh, every single second of the uh, their games, um, but, you know, he, he still doesn't seem like the kind of player that we know he can be, uh, in my opinion. So I don't know that you need to devote any extra attention to Bailey. I think you just try to not have him... Uh, get three shots off from you know anywhere within 25 yards because his shooting technique is excellent uh the rest i mean uh, i'm assuming Folland and alario are going to play together because of the absence of uh, belarabi even though uh, it wouldn't shock me necessarily if uh, bosch opted for a bit more defensive approach especially against dortmund just to prove to everyone you know that he can make differences and, and changes in his team. So and then lose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't be shocked if if Brandt played on the right wing and he introduced Baumgartlinger uh, as you know the six and Arangis as an eight. I think that would work too. But I, I'm going to assume it's going to be Alario and Folland together, and that's. I mean, I, I, neither one of these guys, to me, is more than a pretty good Bundesliga striker, which means, you know, if he's on a hot streak, he'll score 15 goals a season. If he's not, he scores nine or 10 goals a season. And it's not like, uh, they, they, they change anything about the way you 
prepare for a game or anything. I don't think that's the. Well, that that being said, though, I think it's it's quite the blow to to Leverkusen's structure um, that uh, Bellarabi isn't there um, because um, I just don't think Alario can replicate the same. I don't know. Sp- Speed. No, no. Alario is the the center striker with Folland on the wing. Usually, I would say. Exactly, but um, you know, you don't have that four three three setup in the way you usually would have with a lot of uh, pace up front and then the creativity creativity in in behind. And uh, you know, it, it might just be a a, a nuance uh, for for Bosch, but I think it, it's going to make a little bit of a difference in in how Leverkusen press. And uh, that in itself might m- make a difference uh, thinking about it. So, um, yeah, I think uh, Bellarabi is actually, um, I don't want to say a big loss, but uh, certainly will have a negative impact on, on how Leverkusen play. Um, might be proven wrong again with uh, uh, Alario scoring a brace now, but um, at least on, on, on paper, I, I think uh, that holds true. Um, now, should Peter Bo- uh, should Lucien Favre uh, make a change to his attack? Do you think Alcazar, if fit enough, should start from the beginning and not Mario Götze, or do you think uh, Maximilian Philipp needs to, you know, get a rest and and uh, I don't know someone else on the number ten? I mean, uh, I know I need a rest of Maximilian Philipp as the number ten, but you know, I, I don't know about the team uh, selection. Uh, Favre has been quite re- reluctant to play Götze and Alcacer together with Götze in the number 10 spot. I think uh, he likes his intelligence and hold-up qualities up front, even though, you know, the mm, scoring uh, contribution hasn't been outrageous from Götze, even though if you count goals and assists together in, in terms of actual playing time, he's among the, the league leaders, actually. But, you know, it's it's... With with Götze up front, if Royce is missing, you just have too little of a scoring threat, I think, because obviously Philip is not in good run of form, and basically all Philip does well at this moment is taking long shots, which you know are also long shots to actually go into goal. So uh, I I would like probably just to do something different and not have Philip again, because Dortmund have been basically playing with ten men at times with him as the number ten. Uh, to see Götze and Alcacer together, but I don't think it's going to happen. So it, I would be uh, surprised if it wasn't just Philip and Götze again. Uh, obviously, the the alternative would be Alcacer starting, but you know he hasn't really done anything in 2019 to deserve a start. So I don't think Favre is going to make a change for change's sake, especially with uh, them having uh, a good run of rest after the Monday night game. Yeah, that's uh, maybe one of the advantages that Dortmund had, that they did not have a midweek fixture and uh, thus uh, can also wholeheartedly prepare for And that. have no midweek fixture next week. Uh, so, you know, that, yes. that it's quite rare for uh, a team that was in all competitions uh, in, in, in February and March to have a, a week off, basically, with, with just the Bundesliga fixture to take care of, so... That's nice. All right. I I think we have covered it enough and, and previewed this game enough. So I think it's time for predictions now, Lars. If you do me the honor and go first. 
Well, I think typically uh, games at Leverkusen were always the the tight fought battles and and with oftentimes a lot of drama and and weird uh, refereeing decisions and some sometimes even uh, you know expulsions. I think uh, Wendell for that crazy fall on Castro, for example. I think Götze was sent off at Leverkusen, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. For, for spitting. Or yeah, yeah, for, I think for, for, uh, kicking out against the air, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. That was a great, great, uh, Wolfgang Stadt Yeah, moment. I mean, that's, that's why he's the Imperator. But, um, uh, <laughs> conversely, at Dortmund, typically, I think, over the last few years, Dortmund have been uh, doing quite well against Leverkusen and oftentimes putting a number of goals past them. But seeing as we've talked about, for about 30 minutes about how Dortmund are struggling right now. I'm going to go with a one-all draw, uh, which I guess in terms of runoff form of both teams wouldn't be too bad a result for Dortmund, actually. Yeah, and uh, I will stick uh, true to form and, uh, or rather remain true to form and will say that Dortmund will actually lose this game uh, 3-2. to two. I think we will have a reverse fixture score line just the other way around this time. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be dramatic, but not a happy end for Dortmund. And uh, really hope that the reverse psychology I'm applying here, um, is working. I don't know if, if it still works if you say the quiet part out loud, but we will find out next week, uh, or rather Sunday. Um, so thank you, Lars. Um, Quickly, do you think there are chances of Bayern Munich dropping points at home to Hertha Berlin? I mean, going by recent history, Hertha haven't lost to Bayern uh, since in the Bundesliga since 2016. So there is a chance, and I do believe uh, Hertha have the kind of setup that can frustrate Bayern. But you know, with them smelling blood in the water, uh, and I think a bit of a moral boost from that Liverpool game. Uh, I don't, I don't really see it. So I, I think it's going to be a tough game for Bayern, certainly, but as they tend to do these weeks, uh, they will, you know, come away with that win. Do, do you think uh, Bayern are correct in, in taking uh, the Liverpool game as a, as a moral boost for them? Uh, to be honest, I, I didn't watch the game, didn't care, didn't okay. care about it, but obviously, With most of the talk uh, being about Liverpool being clear-cut favorites, uh, and I guess I mean I, I did see some chances afterwards and the expected goals tables and all that, so I, I would say that Liverpool were probably closer to beating Bayern two 0 than Bayern were to scoring a single goal. Um, yes. I mean, maybe that's the the kind of thing where a, a smart coach only shows his players the the good stuff, and, and maybe they they can take away some things from that. But obviously, I mean, uh, when you're the underdog, quote unquote, uh, I don't think Bayern can necessarily claim underdog status uh, at any point. Uh, you know, this kind of Result, if nothing else, can have a positive effect on your uh, performances going forward. So, yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, I think this uh, uh, should suffice for this week's podcast. Lars, please uh, tell our dear listeners how to get in touch with you on the Twitter, and then I think we can get out of here. Uh, they uh, on the Twitter, I am uh, at Lars Polman. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it's very nice. That's very nice. Uh, and 
you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. And if you want to get in touch with all of us, go to Twitter or Facebook at yellowwallpod is our respective handle. You can find our podcast on yellowwallpod.com in all the different ways to subscribe, which is iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And please leave a rating to, uh, yeah, improve our reach. That'd be nice. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's all for now. Um, I'll plug Patreon next week again. So <laughs> see you and goodbye. Have a good weekend.